Ready for the word. Everybody, point to pastor. Say, pastor. Bring the word. <laughs> Amen. Pastor Jerry C. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, that too. <laughs> All right. Read him first John, beginning with um, chapter one, verse five. And I will read all the way to first John, second chapter through verse two. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous or just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Before we think of it carefully, let us pray. Father God, we just thank you. And once again, come, come today, Lord, to hear from you. Lord, not to hear from me or anyone else, Lord, but to hear directly from on high, a word from on high, Lord, that will Help us, Lord, to, uh, to live for you, to encourage us, Lord, to treat one another right, Lord, to look at ourselves the right way. And Father, most of all, Lord, to glorify you, because this is what it's all about. It's for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. <clears throat> Man, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to build something here, <laughs> trying to build something here. For these weeks, I've been trying to, to uh, explain 1 John to you all in a way where you can understand it, and, and it's kind of layering things together, 
kind of putting layers on it so you can understand what's going on. So um, most times I'm repeating a lot of stuff that you heard last week. But I'm doing that so you can understand the flow of thought. Amen. So we began by saying that this whole uh, book had a reason or a, a theme behind it. It was a reason why John wrote this book, right? And the reason why he wrote this book is because it, it was against some folks that had some twisted views. They had some twisted views about what a Christian was or is, and they had a, some twisted views about what, who Jesus is, and they had twisted views about how we should treat one another. They just were twisted. And John said, I need to write something in response to what they're trying to sell, what they're trying to put in the church. So he wrote 1 John. Now, he also wrote the Gospel of John as well. And I told you all in weeks past that he wrote the Gospel of John for unbelievers so that they may look and read and check it out and so that they may believe in who Jesus is, right? I told you that the theme of that Gospel, the theme of that Gospel, you'll find it in the 20th chapter and verse 31, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So he wrote that so that you may believe. Those who don't believe at this time, they could read it and they could believe. But he wrote 1 John for a different reason. He wrote 1 John for believers, for believers. And the theme of 1 John can be found in the 5th chapter and the 13th verse. These things I have written to you who believe. That means you believe already, right? Who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, sometimes... We doubt, and we don't know if we're saved or not, believe it or not. Sometimes we doubt if we, you know, do I really know the Lord? Am I really going to make it to heaven? I mean, I, you know, sometimes I just don't know. And, and John said, no need to go through life like that. Let me give you something to help you out. And what I give you to help you out is 1 John. See, 1 John will show you and, and prove to you that you are saved because it's a, it's a book full of tests. Whereas the Gospel of John had signs for those who don't believe. The, the epistle, epistle of John has um, tests for those who do believe. If you want to know that you are really a Christian or if you're a Christian or not, Take the tests that are in 1 John, right? And, and the first test I told you all was uh, when John said, Gnostics, you all believe and you all are preaching that Jesus wasn't really the Christ. How are you going to tell me? <laughs> How are you going to tell me that he's not the Christ when, when I, from the beginning, <laughs> we, we've seen him, right? 
and, and I saw him with our eyes and we, and we looked at him and touched him and we beheld, right, this word of life. You can't tell me what I did not see. You can't tell me. He is the Christ. So the first test is, do you believe in the real Jesus? Not a Jesus that you make up, but do you believe in a real Jesus, right? Not, not the, the, you know, the man upstairs. Now, do you believe in the historical Jesus? Amen? Well, the second test, I started it last week. And the second test has to do with basically this. What is your view about sin? How do you view sin? How do you view sin? And we're going to continue that today. How do you view sin with part two? So I'll start from verse 7 because I, I basically left off there and, and explained what that fellowship was all about, right? What fellowship was all about. How fellowship was between us, among us, was was an outward display of what's going on between you and God. How would the world know that you are good with God? Well, they can look at how you treat one another. If you're treating each other, Bo, people can look and say, I don't want, I want nothing to do with that guy. They don't treat each other right at 296. Look how they look at each other. Look how they talk to each other. Look how they uh, 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 have attitudes with each other. I don't even know if they like each other there. I don't want anything to do with that guy when this is all messed up. And that's what he's saying. He's saying that's the outward display. The outward display of what's going on between you and God can be seen through the love that we have towards one another. I told you all that, that because this is Pickaboo Part 2, I told you all about that Pickaboo game that you all play with kids, right? And, and, and you know how you do, like, you know, I got a, a, a new one that I'll see today. New grandbaby I'll see today. Honeycomb, by the way, honeycomb. And, and, and I'll see her today, and, and she might be a little too young for Pickaboo, but I know it's coming when I'll be like, I do. And it says that when you do this, at a certain age, they really believe that you have disappeared. They really do believe, those babies really do believe that you're gone. And then all of a sudden when you reveal yourself, it's like, oh, he's there again. How did he do that? Well, they said that is called object permanence. Object permanence is an understanding that objects and events continue to exist even when they cannot directly be seen, heard, or touched. And most infants are working on this around age six months or so. But the thing that I said is that, isn't it interesting how we play pickaboo with God? Isn't it interesting? We, we think that if we just hide our sin from God, all of a sudden God will respond like that six-month-old baby 
and say, oh, where did it go? Where did the sin go? Just because you tried to hide it, all of a sudden, God is unaware of it? What do you think about sin? How do you view sin? How do you view sin? And I told you all last week that I just changed and tweaked an, an adage, an old adage, you can fool all of the people some of the time and some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool God. But you can't fool God. Amen? I heard before when R.C. Sproul was in a um, conference, and he was in a conference about pastoral care towards the congregation. And he talked about how he cares and ministers and counsels often people within his congregation. And he gets into, he gets into a lot of philosophical, heady subjects with them. But at some point or another, it, it comes down to where he asks a question. And I'm going to ask this question to this congregation today. I'm going to ask that same question he asked in his counseling sessions. What do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt? What do you do with it? What do you do with your guilt? Uh-uh-uh, it's a given that everybody knows what guilt is. Don't fool yourself. It's a given that everyone knows what guilt is. What do you do with it? I have a, a daughter that will be a therapist, and I promise you, she will always have a job. Because folks are trying to deal with guilt in all different ways, but the right way. What do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt? We, and, and I'm not talking about a guilty feeling. Now, that's a difference between a guilty feeling and guilt. See, see, as, as he explained and others explain it as well, see, a guilty feeling is, is subjective, right? Sometimes you can feel guilty and you ain't, you ain't even got no reason to feel guilty. See, a guilty feeling is subjective. But I'm talking about objective guilt. When you have broken the law, in specific, when you've broken the law of God, what do you do? And I'm talking about when you broke God's law. When you break God's law, what do you do? And, and breaking God's law, by the way, is a serious matter. Why? Because you don't determine what's right or wrong. He does. He does. He is the one that, like I stated last week, the fountain of true ethics is in the knowledge of the character of God to whom we are answerable to. And, and what that means is all ethics, all right and wrong, all of it, that, that, that comes from morals. All that comes from God, not you. You don't determine what's right or wrong. See, a lot of folks are trying to live their life 
and they say, you know, well, my truth. My truth. My truth ain't worth two cents compared to the truth. Because there is only one truth. There's only one truth. So don't fool yourself. So I said you can, you could have fooled me last week. Now I'm saying you done fooled yourself. You done fooled yourself because a lot of people think <laughs> that, that they're doing all right. And I'm saying take the tests. Take test two. What do you do with your, with your sin? What do you do with guilt? Verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And we covered that last week. But listen to this next part. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Wow. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that that makes me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. John was telling you, you're going to need the blood. <laughs> you're going to need the blood. See, see, unlike those Gnostics who were, they, they were preaching and teaching that they were perfect and without sin. John was telling us, no, you're going to need the blood. And you're going to need it on a regular basis, my brother. And you're going to need it regularly, my sister. You're going to need the blood, right? Because, see, this life is not about perfection, but direction right? It's about direction. Are you going closer and trying to go closer to God or are you trying to get away from him and you're trying to play pickaboo with him? See, that's the, that's the question. Are you playing pickaboo? Like all of a sudden, if you just hide this thing just right, he won't see it. You know, I, I remember one of the old deacons had, a, had an illustration. It said the, the, the little kid in a cookie jar, he looked he looked left, and he looked right, and he looked behind him, but he never looked up. And that's a bunch of us today. We, we, and we never look up, right? And we never look up. You, you're going to need the blood. And he said, this is why you're going to need the blood. See, these verses teach that in order to have that fellowship with God, you're going to need the blood of Jesus. And it also tells us this. If we want to have fellowship with one another, we're going to need the blood of Jesus. Let, let, me, let me just walk down some folks' street right now. See, it, it, you know, some folks have some dark, dark situations going on with other people. And sometimes it's even folks in their own homes that they have some, like, like, 
Like, like, like if folks, even in your own home, really thought how you saw how you struggle with them. Like, you know, I sometimes I don't even know if I like them. You're going to need the blood of Jesus because, see, see, they injure you over and over and over again. And you're going to call on the blood of Jesus to, to, to change your heart towards them. You're going to need that blood to apply, to, 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 to be within you, to, to, to change you so that you can change your perspective about them. Even though they have injured you over and over and over and over again. And the people that know you most, they can really, they can really hurt you. Because they know your weak spots, right? But you, but, but you need Jesus to be right, to, to even think right about them. And, and then if verse 7 is telling us that we need him, you know, to, to, to think right about others, then verse 8 and 9, it says this, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if seven is telling us we need him, we need that blood and we need him to change our perspective on others, then verse 8 and 9 is saying that we need we need him to change our perspective even on our, on our own selves, right? So, so rather than, Lord, help me to, to love them, Lord, help them to love me. <laughs> help, them to love, help them to love me. And, and in other words, help me to be able to, to say I am wrong. You know how hard it is sometimes for folks to say I'm wrong? It was my, my fault. You know, and, 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 and it was an old saying where people said it so much that it was almost like just second nature, and they didn't even mean it. My fault, dog. My, my fault, dog. No, no, is it your fault? <laughs> and if it is your fault, then act accordingly. Right? Then act accordingly. And, and, and I remember an old illustration that, that Deacon Chris had as well. He said that's you know, when some folks come... To you, and, and, and he said, if they are on your foot and they, they're stepping on your foot and they say, I'm sorry, and they keep stepping on your foot though, they never let off that foot. Say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Are you? <laughs> are you really? Are you really? See, because, see, that's what it is. See, sometimes people injure you, and sometimes you injure people. And we need the blood of Jesus to make us think right about one another. Amen? So what do we do with our guilt if we're Christians? What do we do? We confess. <laughs> we confess. We, we, we make sure that our list our short lists. We don't let it stack up and pile up on one another, right? Because, you know, if you knew that you did somebody wrong, you know good and well you spoke to sister so-and-so or, or brother so-and-so wrong. You snapped at him and everything else. I, I get with him next week. Then all of a sudden next week come, 
You done forgot about how you snapped with him. And then all of a sudden, you snap at him again. See, that's what I'm saying. That list can get long. We got to get quick to say, hey, my fault, dog. Right? We, we got to be quick to say, I'm sorry, when we know that we've wronged someone. Just think about it. Just think how beautiful it would be if everybody was quick to say, I'm sorry. Man, you know, you know, everybody's just saying, I'm sorry. And, and, and then all of a sudden, there's no, you know, cases being built. There's no time allowed to, like, to, to carry and make cases because that's what we do. You know, it, it's so interesting about human nature. Is it, it, the interesting thing about it is that, and, and I've seen it in kids, and adults mimic it as well because the kids learn it from adults. And what they do is that, they, you know, one thing happens. And, and let's take this for example. The kid says to another kid, no, you better not. Then what happens is as a little time goes by and you see that that kid is all in his feelings and stuff, you say, what happened? Well, he all of a sudden, he done built a case in his head against that person. He said, no, I better not do that at all. And if I do, he's going to sock me in my face. And he's going to. But he really just said no. <laughs> and that's how we are. We build cases. When we allow things to occur and we allow them to go on, all of a sudden, little things become big things. And then all of a sudden, they become church problems. They become church problems. John is saying, how do you handle sin? How do you, when you offend God and when you offend one another, how do you handle it? Well, make sure that list is short and it stays short. Make sure that it stays short. And, and, and one of the prime examples of how we deal with sin can be uh, 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 seen by, by David, by King David. You all remember in that 11th chapter of 2 Samuel where it's even titled, David's Great Sin, right? And, and the whole sin was about him and Bathsheba. And, and just real quick, David was, uh, you know, on a spring morning because that's how the story uh, begins. It happened, it happened <laughs> during the spring, Right? And what happened was David was taking a stroll out on the roof of his, of his uh, home. And he happened to see a young, beautiful uh, uh, lady cleansing herself, cleaning herself. And, and, and that was it. Then all of a sudden, he ends up getting with her, and, and she becomes pregnant. Well, the, uh, one of the big problems is, is that her husband, <laughs> her husband, was one of David's most trusted men. And he was out fighting in war, motivated by his king, David. And David, the story goes, he tried to make sure that he could pin the pregnancy on him. So he told them to send him home 
so that he can be with his wife and then everything will be fixed and everything will be good. Well, no, his loyalty, Uriah's loyalty was on the field and he could not do anything like that. He needed to be on the field fighting, right? So he never did go home to his wife. So David said, I got an idea. Sent him on the front line where it's the hottest battle going on and everything else so that he can be killed. And that's exactly what happened. He said, Joab, Joab sent him on the, on the front line. And then Joab said, we got to make sure that this thing is done. So we're going to retreat. We're going to retreat. And when they retreated, Uriah was there. And they got killed. They sent word back to David, the deed is done. David said, cool. David moved her in and married her and said, pick a boo guy. <laughs> right? Pick a boo. It's all smooth. God ain't, God ain't seeing this. For 12 months, David was like, pickaboo. 12 months playing pickaboo. 12 months. Then all of a sudden he had a visitor named Nathan. Right? And, and Nathan said in the 12th chapter, then the Lord sent Nathan. <laughs> then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and said, let me tell you a story. Right? There were two men in one city, and the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks. Right? He had women. He had wives. Right? Right? Had great many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, number one wife. Right, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the, way for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's one lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Look at David's reaction. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. That no good. <laughs> Ooh. How could he have done, how could he have done that in, in, in the middle of all of his carrying on? Right? He said, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must take restitu make restitution for the lamb four times over. Right? Because he did this thing and had no compassion. 
And I can imagine that Nathan at this time had a nail file. <laughs> while David was carrying on. You done yet, bro? <laughs> right? And then when David was ranting and raving, all of a sudden, Nathan said, you are the man. You're the one that did this. Right? You're the one who did this. Right? And, he, and David said, oh, my goodness. Kickaboo did not work. It didn't work. I've been trying to hide this thing for, for months, and it didn't work. And, and, and he came, and, and look how he, 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 what he says in, in Psalms 51. In Psalms 51, he says this, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You alone I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Look what he says in verse 7. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice, right? Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit with me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. What do we do? We confess. We confess. And, and, and what's interesting, those 12 months that he was he was thinking that he was playing peekaboo, and, and it didn't work, and he should have known. And he did know, because Psalms 32 says this, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. Right? He said your hand was heavy on me. In other words, there are some people, there are some Christians, they are hiding things and they're going through all types of psychological stuff. Because God is not letting you rest until you get it right with him. He's not letting you rest until you get it right with him. And, and you're wondering why you don't have any peace. And you're wondering why you don't have great days. <laughs> And you're wondering why there's like always this roller coaster of highs and lows. That's because, see, you, you're playing pickaboo, And you think it's going to work. And it don't work. Because God sees it all. And you can't hide it from him. And John is saying, how do we deal with sin? 
We keep the list short. We keep the list short. When we mess up, we come running and saying, Lord, forgive me, for I've done wrong. I've done wrong. But it's also saying we keep the list short with one another. How can we come to God saying, Lord, forgive me, I've done wrong when we are just injuring each other and never saying I'm sorry. You see what I'm saying? And John will speak of that later on in this book. You got to be able, you, you, you got to have a right relationship with one another as well. How can, you, how can you say you love the one you have not seen when you're not even loving the one that you see? That's what he's saying. So what do we do with our sin? We confess it. We confess our sins. And, and, and John said, by the way, and, and he says in the, in, in ver, in the second chapter, verses 1 and 2, he says, by the way, I did not write this so you all can sin. Yes, I'm telling you that you have the blood, and I'm telling you that you have Christ and everything else. But I, I did not write this so you, can, so you can sin, so you can say, oh, I can just do what I want to do because I got the blood. I got the blood. Yeah, I can, I can just talk like I want to talk, and all kind of stuff can just fly out my mouth because I got the blood. And, and, I can, and I can treat you like I want to treat you. And, and I can treat you like I don't even love you because I got the blood. Right? Right? And, and, and in business practices, I could steal a little bit and, 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 and do some shady stuff to people and everything else because I got the blood. Now, John said, no, I didn't write this so you, so you can go around saying I got the blood. I wrote this. So that you will not sin. But because, you know, it's not about perfection down here, I also wrote it to tell you all that when you do sin, we have an advocate, right? Which is Jesus. And you're going to need him. He's going to need to advocate for you. He's going to need to speak on your part because we do wrong. And we do wrong on a regular basis. Being a Christian is not about being per per perfect. It's about striving for perfection. And, and, and you know a Christian because, see, this test says, you know a Christian because they're sensitive to sin. That's how you know when you're a Christian, when you're sensitive to sin. If you can sin and it don't bother you, I would suggest that you look deeper in because one of the signs of being a Christian is that that Holy Spirit will come and give you a whooping like nothing else when you've done something wrong. You know, I, I have a history in my childhood of getting many whoopings. But I could tell you all, that Holy Spirit whooping is something different. And it doesn't allow you to sleep. It doesn't allow you to eat. It doesn't allow you to look people in the eye 
when it messes with you to that point, you know you need to get it fixed. You know you need to get it right. And that's when you know that you know that you know that you are his when you can't rest when you do wrong. When you can't rest when you do wrong. What do you do with your guilt? What do you do with your guilt? So that's the end of the second test. So when you go and you read 1 John, read it and apply it to yourself, right? And, 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 and read these first two tests. Do you believe in the historical Jesus? And what do you, how do you view sin? Does sin bother you? Or are you cool? You're cool. With all the wrong you do, you're cool. That's test two. Next, we'll get into test three. Amen? So here's the question that has eternal implications. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? See, it's saying that that's the way that we can make this thing right. What will you do with Christ? Choose ye this day who you will serve. We'll have elders before, in, before us at the, in the church, right here in front, to go and, and deal with that question for you. I pray that you will not leave this building without making sure that you're right with Christ, that you're right with God. Choose ye this day who you will serve. I pray that you choose Jesus. Amen. God bless you.